0: please email us at info at We pray this sermon will help you grow deeper in your walk with Jesus Christ. I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 8. And we're going to pick up right where we left off last week. I'm going to, we're going to start in verse 30. Verse 30, and I'm going to read through verse 38. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your Father. Now last week we looked at this whole conversation that Jesus had with the Jews in which he was pointing again and again and again to his deity. John chapter 7 and John chapter 8 are about an argument from Jesus regarding the deity of Christ, that He is the Son of God, so he's having this back and forth with the Jews. Remember, he said in John 8:12 twelve, "I am the light of the world." They would have known exactly what that means. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. They knew that He was claiming to be God. And the, the whole narrative ends uh, that section in verse 30, if you look at verse 30. It says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. And I almost talked about that verse last week, but I didn't. And here's why. is because this is a very difficult concept to grasp, which is about to take place. Many believed in him, John records. But then look at the response of the same people that believed in him. Look at this response. Uh, Jesus tells him, uh, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Uh, you will know the truth. The truth will set you free. Look how they answer him. We are offspring of Abraham. They have never been enslaved to anyone. So they're pushing back against Jesus. Their response, Jesus says, look at verse 37. He says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham. Look at this. Yet you seek to kill me because my word is. Finds no place in you. So this is a very difficult reality to grasp. It's a reality that John pictures several times in the gospel. It's called the unbelieving believer. The unbelieving believer. It's somebody that has a type of superficial faith in Christ, but it's not a genuine faith. That means that it's not a saving faith. It's, it's a faith in Christ for the wrong reasons, and therefore, it doesn't save. It doesn't save. An unbelieving believer is a person who professes faith in Christ, but it's not a genuine faith. And, I, and, and my fear is that in the modern church, there are many unbelieving believers There are many unbelieving believers. The reason why that is is because we're quick to label anyone a Christian just because they put Christ in their Twitter or Instagram bio. If somebody is willing to affiliate with Christ today, we say, oh, they're a Christian. You know, they they go to such and such church. But that's not what Jesus said. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, no, you have to believe the real gospel, the true gospel. What's the true gospel? That you are a sinner in need of a Savior. What's the message that many churches preach today? That you're, you're a good person and Jesus is here to show you how to live as a good example. No, Jesus said, no, you're enslaved to your sin and I came to die for your sin. That, do you see the difference in the message? The, the message is, is that Christ came to save sinners. And if you don't come to Jesus for that reason, it doesn't count. It doesn't count. And throughout the Gospels, many people came to Jesus for other reasons. They wanted him to be the Savior from Rome. They wanted him. Remember in John chapter 6, Jesus fed him fish uh, and bread. And, and, and at the end of John chapter 6, they said, we want more free meals. Jesus, give us more free meals. And Jesus says, no, you're coming to me for the wrong reason. doesn't count. You have to come to Jesus for the right reason. I want to show you this. Uh, Turn over to the left, uh, John chapter 2, the very end of John chapter 2. This is Jesus' first Passover in verse 23. Jesus has been doing all these miracles in Jerusalem. People are astounded by these miracles. And John records this. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, listen, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Many believed. The the Greek word is pastuo. They believed in him. They expressed some type of faith in him. Now, look at verse 24. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. Same Greek word, pastuo. Jesus did not believe in them. Why? Next verse because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man he as the son of god knew with his omniscience power what was in the heart and he knew that it wasn't genuine faith it it was just faith because they people were people were Impacted by seeing the, the signs that he was performing the miracles, so Jesus taught this over and over again. I want to show you one more place that he taught this, this idea of superficial faith. I want you to turn all the way to, all the way to the left to Matthew chapter thirteen Matthew chapter thirteen. This is the the parable of the sower. I think the parable of the sower is really the paradigm in which you are to understand Jesus's ministry. Do you remember the parable of the sower? Jesus says there's a sower. He sowed seed. The seed is the gospel, and he sows that seed on four types of soils. There's the hard path where the birds come and take it up immediately. There's the rocky soil where it takes a shallow root, and then it withers away under the sun and the wind there is the thorny soil which it it starts to grow but then it's choked up and then there's the good soil where it grows and produces fruit if you look at verse 18 of of Matthew 13 here's Jesus's explanation he says this here then the parable of the sower when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart this is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So let me ask you this. Out of those four soils, how many of the soils were genuine saving faith? 1. 1. How many looked like for a while that they were genuine faith but weren't. 2. The rocky soil and the thorny soil. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, look, as I, as I'm preaching the gospel, all types of people are going to make professions of faith. But that doesn't mean that it's real faith what's the evidence Jesus says in this parable that somebody has real faith? There's, there's two things that he points to. Did you see them? One is endurance, that they stay in the faith. And two, they produce what? Fruit. Fruit. The fruit is the evidence of salvation, not the ground of salvation. The, the one who is saved always produces this fruit. Now, if you turn back to John chapter 8, that gives you this context of this reality of this this unbelieving believer, which Jesus is, is dealing with here. He's dealing with these Jews who are unbelieving believers. And what Jesus is going to do, you remember if a federal agent wants to learn how to spot a counterfeit bill, what do they do? They study the genuine article. They study the real thing they studied real currency. Jesus is going to say, look, this is what a real Christian is. This is what real genuine faith is. He's going to show up, he's going to show them the real McCoy and he's going to diagnose them in relationship to that. What you're going to see him is he's going to be going down the line with these Jews and saying, look, this is what real faith is and this is where you're at. So see the comparison. So that's what he's going to do. Let's, uh, let's pick it up in verse 31, and I want you to see the first sign of genuine faith that Jesus points them to is that genuine faith dwells in the word of God. Genuine faith dwells in the word of God. Verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. We saw this in the parable of the sower, but one of the effects of genuine faith is that there is an endurance in the word of God, whereas superficial faith does not endure. That word, the Greek word that is translated abide, is the word minnow, and in this case it's a conditional subjective, It's it's a condition that is met in the true Christian. You could translate that word remain, or as it is here, abide, uh, it's the same word that is used in John 15, 4, when Jesus says, abide in me, and I in you. You could also translate it as dwell, dwell, as in a house. You, what does it mean when you dwell in a house? When somebody asks you, what's your address of residence? It means that's where I live. That's where I live. That's where I stay. That's where I go. That's, that's, that's the place of my life. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that you will show yourself to be truly my disciple if you live in my word. That that's where you dwell, that's where you stay, that's where you go. This becomes your life. And Jesus says this is the contrast between the true disciple and the false disciple. Continuing in the word of God is one of the evidences that you are truly one of Christ's disciples. Let me say it slightly differently. Enduring in the word is not the ground of true faith. It is the evidence of true faith. John says in 2 John verse 9, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching, same word, minnow, whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Jesus said to the church at Philadelphia, he had lots of things against them, but he, he did say this positively in Revelation 3.8. He says, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So this is one of the evidences that you have genuine faith, is that you endure in the word of Christ. You endure in the word of Christ. And that manifests itself, I think, in two ways. First, a desire to study the Scriptures, a desire to study the Scriptures. Remember Jesus said when Satan tempted him, man cannot live on bread alone but on the very word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So the true disciple of Christ loves the Word of God, They love listening to the Word of God. They love meditating about the Word of God. And the Word of God becomes the defining factor in their lives. Moreover, secondly, there is a desire to submit to the Word of God. In addition to studying the Word of God, there is a desire to live your life under the Word of God. R.C. Sproul once said, you know, there's this saying where people say, um, the Bible says it. I believe it that settles it. And Sproul said we need to revise that saying a little bit. It should be the Bible says it that settles it. Because it doesn't really matter if I believe it or not if the Bible says it I'm going to submit my life to it. And that's the posture of the genuine disciple is they say this is the word and I'm going to live my life under the Word of God. So let me give you two tests along those lines, two tests to ask yourself. First, look at your Bible. Look at your Bible. One of the most encouraging things to me is, uh, in my cabinet, in my office, I have the Bibles of generations of my family. And I love opening up that Bible and seeing underlined words, and coffee stains, and marginal notes, because a Bible that's falling apart rarely belongs to a Christian who is. Your, how, your time in the Word says a lot about you as a disciple of Christ. And then secondly, look at your life. Look at your life. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, 105, your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Is that how you live your life? where God's Word is the lamp to your feet, where you don't know what you would do without the Word of God, that you navigate your life by the Word of God. So that's first, that's the first marker that Jesus lays out, that genuine faith dwells in the Word of God. Secondly, genuine faith knows the truth. Look at verse 32. Jesus says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's not just any truth that Jesus is talking about. It's not just talking about uh, uh, a Briticania uh, encyclopedia. He's not just talking about facts. He's talking about the truth of his person and work. He's talking about the truth of the gospel. As A.W. Pink said, it's the truth of truths that he's referring to. Paul says in Titus 1 that there is the truth That accords with godliness. That's what Jesus is talking about here, is that you will come to know the truth. And um, what I did this morning for you is I wanted to uh, summarize what that truth is. Obviously, you could summarize it more than this, but let me give you seven R's that really summarize this truth. First, reign, God, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit reigns over the universe because he created the universe with a word, with a word, not a big bang chance, not descended from a lot of prehistoric gorillas, but a word, and he created Adam and put his breath into his mouth, and therefore God reigns, and he gives Adam rules to which He was supposed to obey, and he failed. Second, retribution. Because God reigns, God is the judge. There is an ultimate judge. Every wrong in history will be righted. Every Holocaust officer will have to pay for his sins. We will all have to stand before Almighty God. That's retribution. Third, ruin. Every man on this side of Adam and every woman stands condemned before God all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wage of sin is death. We all deserve judgment before God. God on the last day will not grade on a curve. He grades by a perfect standard His law, and therefore we all deserve judgment. Fourth, redemption. God in His love sent His only Son, and he became the God-man. He took on our humanity. He's the eternal son of God. And he lived the perfect, righteous life that none of us has been able to live. And he stood in our place on the cross. And he took our sin that we deserved as our substitute, as our atonement on our behalf. And because he was perfect, he was resurrected from the dead three days later. Next ours regeneration. Regeneration we must have a new life in christ true christianity teaches a new life a new life regeneration remember what jesus told nicodemus he said you must be born again you must have a new life and then repentance repentance and faith to receive what christ has done you must repent of your sins you must turn and you must look to look to christ you must trust him And then you will be given all the benefits of what Christ has accomplished. And then last R is return. That we are looking forward to the great glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, at the end of history. When he is coming in the flesh with all of the angels, with all of the departed saints. And then he will create a new heavens and new earth where we will reign with him forever. That's the Christian worldview. That's the truth. That's the truth that Jesus is talking about. So Jesus says, when, you're tr- when you truly come to faith, th- those truths that I just outlined, you will know them. And they will become part of your DNA and your soul. They will become a fabric of your existence. And Jesus says, you will know that truth, and the truth will set you free. The genuine believer always knows the truth. It's like you you could find a genuine believer somewhere over in, in Thailand and wake them up at night and say, what's the truth? And they could give you the truth. A superficial believer, they always stumble over certain facts of the truth. They always forget certain things. Or they fail to mention certain things. Or they don't believe certain things. I was in a discussion with with a friend recently and and the question was was george washington a genuine christian that's a you know you look back and you ask these questions about great people of history was george washington a genuine christian he was a practicing anglican uh, he talked, if you read his writings, he talked a lot about the reign of God and the providence of God over the Continental Army and, and over all these things and how God was looking out after their affairs, but it's hard to say whether he was a genuine Christian or not because he doesn't talk about Christ. He doesn't talk about redemption. He doesn't talk about repentance. Maybe he believed it. He just doesn't talk about it in his, in his writings, and so this is the truth that, that it's wholesale. It's wholesale. You have to believe all of it. You, you have to believe that you're ruined, that there's a Redeemer, that you need a new life, that you're regenerated, that, that you must come to repentance and faith and that the Lord is returning and all these things. And the true Christian internalizes them and believes them. One of the reasons why I think that God is blessing this church and God is bringing people to this church is because people are starving for the truth. The truth. People are so thirsty. They just want the truth. Teach me the basic truths of who Christ is, of who God is, and where I stand in Him redeemed, and and the glorious truths of the return of Christ. All these things. People just want the truth because the true Christian knows the truth. That's what Jesus is saying. So, genuine faith dwells in the Word of God. Genuine faith knows the truth. And then third... Genuine faith gives liberty. This is the last part beginning in, in verse 32. This one is very important, so stay with me. Look carefully here. Jesus says, You will know the truth. You will know it in your mind, in your soul, and as a result, it will set you free. It will set you free. Now, the liberty that Jesus is talking about, it's very apparent if, when you keep reading, and we'll see this, is a liberty from a life of sin. This is the highest liberty that you can have. We we like to talk about political liberty and our liberties in, in government. Praise God for those. We we like those liberties, but this is the highest liberty. This is a liberty from the bondage and slavery from sin. And Jesus says, My truth brings this liberty and this freedom. Now, look at the startling response of the Jews to this statement, verse 33. They answered him, "We are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free now, if you look at israel 's history, had they been enslaved before? Yes, many, many times. You think about Egypt, you think about you think about Babylon and, and going Going into deportation to Babylon, you think about the the Alexander the Great and the Syrians, and now who are they under? They're under Rome. So clearly, they're not talking about political bondage here. They're they're not talking about political slavery. They believe. Look at their answer. They believe that they are essentially justified before God. For what reason? They're descendants of Abraham. Literally, the seed of Abraham. They say we're the seed of Abraham. We're his offspring. There's a direct line between us and Abraham. Don't you remember Jesus? That God gave those promises to Abraham. That God made those covenants with Abraham. Uh, we're in that line. Uh, we're not. We're, we're not spiritually enslaved. We don't need to be freed. So what you're saying doesn't apply to us. Look at Jesus's response, verse 34. Jesus answered them, "Truly, truly." literally, amen, amen. In other words, pay attention to what I'm about to say, because it's very important. I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. This is a hard and fast universal rule that is written into the fabric of the universe. He says, if you practice sin, the, the word he uses to describe practice, he's not just talking about committing a sin. We all Christians commit sins he's talking about the practice, the habit of committing the same sin. He's talking about doing the same thing over and over. Like a dog returns to its vomit, you keep doing the same sin again and again and again. He says that the one who practices sin is a slave of sin. In your Bible, circle or underline that word slave. It's a really important word. It's the Greek word doulos, doulos. A slave, normally it was owned by a wealthy family, normally not used for agricultural work, but but work around a house and inside a house. It meant being under someone's total control, being entirely submitted and committed to another. And outside of redemption, listen carefully here, because you won't hear this message preached by the world, certainly. You won't hear this message taught in many churches, but our natural condition, our natural condition is in slavery and bondage to sin. When you were born as a child, and you come out, and I, know, I know the babies look really cute, but that baby already, because they're an Adam, is in slavery to sin, in slavery to sin. Let me give you some cross-references Peter says, 2 Peter 2.19, they themselves are slaves, same word, due loss, of corruption. For whoever overcomes a person to that, he is enslaved. So if you're overcome by something, you're enslaved by that thing. Paul says, Galatians 4, eight. formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. You were enslaved by things. You were enslaved by things that you shouldn't have been enslaved by. Titus 3.3, Paul says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, law, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. So we could go on and on. If you want to really study this in depth, go look at Romans chapter 6. Uh, beginning in verse 16, where Paul really talks about the fact that if you keep sinning, that you are in slavery to that sin, and Christ came to free us from that sin. So, but let's think very carefully about what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that your position, you Jew, you child of Abraham, you who think that you're justified just by nature of your pedigree, your position is actually that you are in slavery to sin. And and Jesus is saying this is because superficial believers, and this is still the case today, the unbelieving believer doesn't understand the severity of their position. Jesus is saying, you are in a hurt locker, You are in a bad place. If I could use an analogy, I want you to think about a giant pit, like mile-high walls, mile-high cliffs, two miles, three miles, straight up, and you're at the bottom of that pit. What Jesus is not saying is that you're an expert climber, and with the right skill and the right tools that you can climb out of that pit. Jesus is not saying that, nor is he saying that somebody can throw you a rope, and you can just grab on, and they're going to pull you out. He's not saying that either. He's saying, you are in a pit, and the only way for you to get out is for me to come down to the bottom of that pit and to put you on my back, and to climb you out of that pit. Anybody ever see The Princess Bride? You remember Andre the Giant, when he puts, puts the princess and, and uh, the dread pirate Roberts on his back, pulls him up? Um, that's what Jesus did, is he came down and he took on our humanity to deliver us out of the pit of our own sin, or let me put it another way. I want you to imagine that you are in the deepest, darkest dungeon that you could possibly think of. And that dungeon is owned by Satan himself. He has the keys to the door. And within that dungeon, in its great depths, you are at the bottom where it's completely dark. And you are chained. And you are chained. And the chain is your own sin. What Jesus does is he comes, and he throws open the door to the dungeon, and he cuts the chains so that you are released, and you are no longer enslaved to that sin. Listen, this is, you remember that hymn, And Can It Be, Charles Wesley? This is what Wesley said. This is the fourth verse of And Can It Be. He said, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin in nature's night, Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed me. Thee. This is Jesus' point. You cannot be saved until you come to the realization that you are in a pit of sin. You cannot be saved until you come to the realization that you are in a dungeon of sin. You cannot be saved until you realize that you are lost, that you are captive, that you are enslaved, because Jesus came to save sinners. This is what Jesus said, Matthew 9, 13. He says, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I came to call the people who realized that they were enslaved to their sin. We're all sinners, but some people think that they're righteous. That's what Jesus meant there. Because salvation is always by grace. The moment that you try to contribute something, the moment you try and say, I can can pull myself out of this thing, Jesus. You, You help me a little bit, but I can do my part. The moment you do that, you negate grace. You negate faith. For by grace you are saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of work, so no one can boast. So Jesus says, you must realize your predicament. You must realize your sin, that you are enslaved to sin and bondage to sin. So genuine faith, genuine faith knows they've been given liberty from sin, whereas superficial faith, Christ is just an add-on to their sinful life, and they ultimately stay enslaved to their sin. Did you hear that? This is why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, because the true Christian, they mourn over their sin. They've come to the end of themselves. They say, I'm bankrupt, Jesus. I'm a great sinner, and I need a great Savior. It's, Jesus is not an add-on. He's not a, a turbo button you press to give you nice things in a well-to-do life. He is the new life. He is Savior. And that's what Jesus is saying to these guys. He said, you don't know your, your predicament. So that's third. Jesus' genuine faith gives liberty. The first two were genuine faith. Dwells in the Word of God. Genuine faith knows the truth. And then fourth, genuine faith entitles sonship. Genuine faith entitles sonship. So look at verse 35. This is, this is a, a really interesting example Jesus uses. He basically says that if you are a genuine believer, your status changes. He says the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So, so you have two different people. You have a, a slave and a son. If you are a genuine believer, if you have genuine faith, you have a new status immediately. You are a son and daughter of God. If you don't, if you have superficial faith, he says, you're still a slave. You're still, you're not in the family. Uh, A slave could be dismissed at any time. A slave could be sold at any time. A slave was not part of the household. But what happens with sons? What happens with sons when there's a death? They inherit. They inherit what the Father gives them. So Jesus' point is that true faith changes your status 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. So God declares in Christ that you are a child when you are a genuine believer. Galatians 4, 6 says, And because we are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So sonship is about legal rights. Your status has changed. Your status has changed to a son or daughter. How long has the status changed? How long have you been given this right? Forever. Look at verse 36. If the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. He puts that word ontos indeed at the end it means certainly for certain for sure if the sun sets you free if you have become a son or daughter then you will be free indeed you will be free forever you'll be free forever that's why we say that that once you have salvation you cannot lose salvation can someone who is a son or daughter stop being a son or daughter no they cannot once you are a son or daughter you are always a son or daughter. It's a certainty. It's a fact. So when you come to Christ, you are forever free from the penalty of sin. That's Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you come to Christ, you are ever free from the power of sin. You are no longer enslaved to its, its power over you. And when you come to Christ, you will one day be free from the presence of sin, when the Lord Jesus, is, Lord Jesus returns and abolishes sin and death forever. So what Jesus is saying is, is your status hasn't changed. I know you profess faith, but you're still in the same old predicament that you've always been in. You're a slave. You're not a son. The son is free indeed. The son, the, the, the son is forever going to be free. The son is going to inherit the blessings. The, the son is going to inherit the benefits, but. You're still in slavery. That's your status. So genuine faith entitles Sonship. Genuine faith liberates. Genuine faith knows the truth. Genuine faith dwells in the Word of God. And then, fifth, this is so important, so basic, but so important. Genuine faith loves the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this look at this litmus test, verse 37. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. I know that you're the seed of Abraham. I know who you are. He says, yet you seek to kill me, because my words find no place in you. They sought to kill Christ. So they believed in him, and now they are so opposed to him that they want to kill him. Why? Jesus says in John 7, 7, that the world hates me because I testify that its works are evil. Is that true today? The world loves a Jesus. That's the kumbaya Jesus that just says, I love you and just come look at me and I'll show you how to live. Everybody's fine with that Jesus. But the Jesus who says that you need to repent of your sin, take up your cross daily and follow me, that's the Jesus that the world rejects. Don't put a finger on my sin because that's my identity. I identify as that. And you're telling me I need to repent of that? How dare you, Jesus? That, that, that makes me want to kill you. And that's their response. They want to kill them. And, and this, is, this is the cold, hard fact at the end of the day, that if, if you are confronted over your sin, and I'm not talking about just legalism, I'm not talking about, about made-up sins, but I'm talking about what the Bible says are sins. If you are confronted over your adultery, if you're confronted over lying or stealing what the Bible says, fornication, whatever it is, and your response is, man, nah, I don't need to repent, I don't like that, then that is a very dangerous place to be. Because Jesus says, look, if you're a genuine disciple, if you're a genuine believer, you will love me you will love me. You will want more of me. You will want more of Jesus. Jesus uh, Spurgeon said that for the believer, Jesus in the gospel is, is like a, uh, a cup of tea with sugar, throw in an extra lump. The believer loves more of Jesus. They want more of Jesus. And there's this, this deep love that says, I, I will follow Jesus to the end of the world if he asks me to. I, his yoke is easy, and his burden is light, and I love him because the, the, the genuine believer understands what Christ endured to achieve their salvation, and, and there's this, a great sense of indebtedness to Christ and a great sense of love for Christ because of what he's done for you, whereas the unbelieving believer simply looks at Christ and says, I, he makes me uncomfortable and I don't like that. You see the difference? So that's number five is that there, the genuine faith loves Christ, whereas the superficial faith hates Christ. Six and finally, six and finally, is that genuine faith causes you to resemble the Father, whereas superficial faith, Jesus says, causes you to resemble the devil. Look at verse 38. He says, I speak of what I have seen with my father. Who's he referring to? God the Father. He says, I'm speaking simply what I've been commanded to speak. And he says, and you do what you have heard from your father. Different father. Do you see that? We learn in verse 44, he's talking about the devil. He's saying, you belong to your father, the devil, and that's one of the reasons why you are opposing me, opposing my message. So earlier I said there's an uncomfortable truth we have to face, and that's we are all on the other side of Christ, enslaved to sin. Look at this uncomfortable truth. Jesus is saying that you are of your father, the devil. You belong to the devil. John says in 1 John 3, 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. He says in 1 John 5, 19, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So coming to faith in Christ is being delivered from the kingdom of Satan over to the kingdom of Christ. That's Colossians 1:13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of of his beloved son. So let me review these for you. So Jesus has held these up. And he's and he's held these up to these unbelieving Jews, and let's just go through all six. He says, look, if you're a genuine believer, you abide, you remain in my word. If you have superficial faith, if you're an unbelieving believer, you ultimately will depart from the word. If you have genuine faith, you will know the truth. If you have superficial faith, you do not know the truth. If you have genuine faith, you have liberty from sin. If you have superficial faith, you're still enslaved to sin. If you have genuine faith, you have a status as a son. If you have superficial faith, you have status as a slave. If you have genuine faith, you have love of Christ. If you have superficial faith, you have hatred of Christ. If you have genuine faith, you will resemble the father. And if you have superficial faith, you will resemble the devil. The difference couldn't be more startling. It couldn't be more startling. So look, two things, two takeaways, first, foremost, obviously, ask yourself, am I a genuine believer? Do I have genuine faith? Is this where I am? Make sure. Uh, Familiarity with the church does not save somebody. Judas knew Jesus. He saw Jesus. He saw the miracles. He walked with Jesus. But look where Jesus was. Look, look Look down the line. He departs he didn't know the truth. He was enslaved to his sin. He, he stayed a slave. In the end, he hated Christ. He hated that, that Christ allowed people to worship him and spend money on him. Remember the woman who came and, 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 and poured the perfume out on Christ, Judas, Judas said, couldn't that money be given to the poor? And, and Judas betrayed the Son of God doing the work of the devil. So ask yourself, am I a genuine believer? And then secondly, secondly, we need to be discerning. I say all this because we need to be discerning in this world. There are a lot of counterfeit Christians. There are a lot of unbelieving believers. And it might be that you might help them understand where they really are before God. That you could bring the true gospel to them. A lot of people in the churches have never heard the true gospel. And you can bring the gospel to them. And then also that you could be discerning just with in terms of all the all the y stuff that is out there that you can know, look, this is what genuine faith is. This is what superficial faith is. Because Jesus wants us to know this. Jesus reveals this to us. And praise be to God, he does. And praise be to God that if you are free, then you are free indeed, free forever. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do love you we we just take a step back in awe at this confrontation with these superficial believers and we praise you lord for these truths that you lay out regarding genuine faith that those who remain in the word will know the truth and the truth will set us free we praise you lord that those who are free are free indeed we praise you lord that those who are sons are sons forever We praise you, Lord, that you are making us more like our Heavenly Father, those of us who are in Christ. We praise you, Lord, for these things. All glory be to Christ. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, information, and events, check out our website at CapitalCommunityChurch.com.